Welcome to the Dental Money Lounge, the place where dentists can tune in to grow their money, wealth and financial knowledge. Here are your hosts, Hassan Mushaid and Max Bazzucchini. Hi everyone, from Max Bazzucchini. Welcome to today's episode of our podcast. We are delighted to have today Mr. Kevin Saunders of Saroma Limited. Is a, a consultant to the healthcare professional, someone I know where we work uh, with some of our clients in the past. Kevin, are you there? I am. Hello. How are you? Hi, I'm very well. Thank you. I'm very well. Hassan also is with us today. How, how, ciao. How are you, Max? Ciao, ciao. Kevin, tell us a bit about yourself and tell to our listener a bit about yourself. Sure, yeah. Okay, so my, by way of background, I was a banker pretty much all of my life. Uh, I spent the last 10 years of my career as a specialist dental financer in one of the main clearing banks. I left the bank in 2012 and decided to use my insider knowledge, as I like to call it, uh, to assist dentists in obtaining loans from banks. So I set my company up, Saroma Limited, and worked on a self-employed basis since then, helping people write applications and get the finance through the banks. I like to think of myself as a project manager actually seeing the loan through from getting the agreement all the way through to drawdown. Okay, wow, so you've yeah, actually yeah, worked with the health and dental sector for, for, for a number of years now. Yes, yeah, so uh, all together, what's that, 16 years. Uh, so uh, yeah, quite a long time. Okay, thank you, Kevin. Well, today's episode, it's all about how to make yourself as a buyer of a dental practice a better prospect for a, for a bank, for a lender. From my point of view, I see that there is a very, very good appetite from banks, and it has been over the years, and uh, no change of any change um, or any sign of any changes for banks to find the dental profession. But today, especially, we'll be talking about business loans. So, Kevin, take it away. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, the interesting thing is, as an ex-bank manager, is that what people often perceive that the banks want to see is not what they actually want to see. So. I like to engage with clients at an early stage. I mean, I, I'm quite happy to talk with clients before they're ready to buy a practice, perhaps not long after they've qualified, uh, and advise them of what they actually need to do to get themselves looking like a good prospect for the banks. And some of the things are very simple, actually, and you might think that everyone would do this, but it's surprising how many people get this wrong. So it's things like tidying up your personal finances. Something a bank hates to see, for example, are unpaid item fees or um, overdrafts that have been exceeded on a personal account. And you might think, well, that's got nothing to do with the business. Yeah. But actually, the way the bank views it is that if you can't yeah. keep your personal finances in order, you're unlikely to keep your business finances in order. So even if you've had a history of perhaps just exceeding an overdraft facility slightly because you've got money on deposit, before you approach the bank, you really need to have six months of, of clean history on bank statements. And that means maybe you're just putting some of your deposits into your current account to stop getting yeah. that excess fee each month. Uh, so it's, it's little things like that that can actually derail a loan application. Yeah, that's actually quite a good insight, though, actually. Yeah, well, it's, it's funny. I mean, we were talking about this earlier, weren't we? And, and we said that you generally get one good chance of going for the finance. If it gets declined initially, I'm not saying it can't be um, agreed or appealed and overturned, but you're generally on an uphill struggle. It's best to go in with the strongest application you can at the beginning. So you know, why have bad bank statements when you could have just, just looked after them for a few months and, and make them look good? So that, that's, I guess, the first point is, is just keeping your personal finances clean. So Kevin, you mentioned there's kind of a one shot where dentists can either 
succeed with getting a loan from the bank or not. Why is that? Could you explain that for me, please? Sure, yes, because at the end of the day, bank sanctioners are human beings. And if they decide they don't like an application, it's quite hard to turn that around. I'm not okay. saying it doesn't happen. Sometimes it does. But once someone's made their mind up, often we're fighting an uphill battle. Okay. Well, essentially, Hassan, when you go and ask for, when you need to buy or starting a new business and you need to borrow the, the fund and the money, it's almost like going for a job interview where your first impression is, is critical. So, of course, you need to approach this process and present yourself under the best possible lights. I, I come across so many buyers, uh, dental practice buyers, that contact me when we launch a new practice on the market. And clearly, one of the first questions I ask is, you know, show me the money. <laughs> Can you afford yeah. to buy? Can you afford to buy this practice? And many, many times they think they can, and many times they think that arranging a sort of finance is a very straightforward thing to do, which with the right people to support you, it, it is a very straightforward thing to do. But if you mess up the first time, then yeah. the chances to borrow the amount of money you need are going to be limited. So, I mean, that brings us to another question, really. Max, would you like to, I mean, from your experience as well, and, and, and again, Kevin, you're the, the ideal person for this, because you describe this experience such like similar to an, a, a job interview, how can somebody position themselves or any tips and, and, and strategies where they can kind of succeed with this interview? Yes. Uh, so, as I said, getting your personal finances in order is one point. Secondly, on your personal information, the CV of the applicant is always requested. Okay. And while it's important to have the clinical experience on there, also, more and more banks are looking for actual, well, any kind of experience on practice management, which is quite hard for the associate dentist. So yeah. perhaps any courses that have been attended that show that they've, um, they've actually gained some insight into managing a practice, or anything yeah. they've done in a practice, such as monitoring UDAs or, or taking a hand in the staff management, anything like that should go on the CV. Okay. And do they also look, uh, Kevin, do they also bank, also look at the non-dental skills? For this, I mean the sort of ability to manage practices rather than only clinical experience. So they also look at sort of business manager courses or experience that they have in, in this aspect. Uh, yes, exactly. So, so that's what I was saying. If they've attended a course somewhere like the Eastman, for example, on practice management, yeah. that should be recorded. And, you know, again, it's sitting down with someone like myself or like you uh, that can tell them, look, what have you actually done in the practice uh, so far? Have you actually helped out at any point when the owner wasn't around? Or have you yeah. helped manage some staff? There's little points that people tend to forget about themselves that can actually be brought out into the CV. Okay. Okay. And from your experience and what you see in the field, if we have a buyer looking to buy one million pound practice, obviously depending on the type of buyer, what, what sort of percentage of the price uh, can a buyer um, uh, get as a loan from a bank? What are the average figures for our listeners today? Sure, yeah, I mean the average on a million pound practice would be 80% loan to value. And that is, is secure or unsecured? That's what I was about to say, so that, that's really on an unsecured basis. Obviously there's lots of ways of structuring a loan and it might be that the borrower is happy to offer up some additional security, such as a property, in which case the bank can leverage up against that and provide more debt. Uh, or you may have an existing practice owner who owns a practice already, 
and the bank can gear up on the existing practice and then lend 80% on the new one. So it really depends on the applicant. But if you're asking about a first time buyer going for an unsecured loan, then the average is 80% on a large practice. If the prices drop down and you're looking at a sort of a £350,000 practice, then it's easier to obtain 90%. Okay. And on top of this, uh, Kevin, what are the costs um, of borrowing? Everybody looks at the interest rate, uh, the sort of headline yeah. interest rate. And I suppose, uh, you know, the, the, all the banks are different, but at a very average rate might be 3.5% over the bank's base rate on a variable mortgage. But I always tell people you need to look out for the for the hidden fees as well, the hidden costs. Oh, the hidden costs. Okay. Yeah, uh, and actually they're not hidden. It's just that people tend to just focus on the interest rate. Yes. They don't realise that there's lots of other costs involved as well. Things like, for example, early payment costs. People should always consider what they're actually going to do with this practice. Are they going to build it up and flip it on in two or three years, or are they going to just sit on it? Because you know, an early repayment fee can last for four years. Some of the banks actually charge them for the lifetime of the loan. So it's actually better to have a slightly higher interest rate if you're going to be flipping the practice on in a few years um, than suffer a one or two percent early repayment charge. Okay, that's very interesting to know. So in terms of Hassan asked you before some sort of top tips for yes. buyers to, to make themselves look presentable or under the best possible light. So what are in your experience your top tips that you can give to a buyer listening to us today, talking to you, going to a bank, asking for funding for, for a purchase? Sure. Okay. So I've mentioned personal information. Uh, that's tip number one, being financial information and the CV. Second, one of the top things that bank look, banks look at when they're lending unsecured money are yeah. um, background assets. So having some money in the background, deposit, property, things like that and also the fees that an associate dentist can generate. Uh, because if you've got, because banks will generally look at the last three years, and if you've got three years of, of low levels of fees being grossed, yeah. then the bank's going to wonder how you're going to step into a principal's shoes and gross the level of fees that they're grossing. Yeah. So um, it's a harder sell if someone is earning sort of 20 or 30,000 pound a year than someone earning 70 to 100,000 pound a year. So yeah. I guess that's, that's tip number two. Okay. And then probably the third tip would be to engage your professional advisors you know, get your accountant on board, find someone like me and yourself to sit down at an early stage with and find out what looks good to the bank and what looks bad. So that when the practice does come up, you're ready to hit the ground running. It's not a case, and I think most people are guilty of doing this, they probably go out and look for the practice, then they find the practice and then they start worrying about everything else. And it's almost yeah. the wrong way around really. Uh, so yeah, get your surround yourself with professional advisors at an early stage. Yeah, no, that makes quite quite clear sense. Really, you need that team behind you to make sure everything is every step is successful. Really, I agree one hundred percent. I agree one hundred percent. I think buyers should talk to consultants like yourself, Kelly, Kevin, at very very early stage, well, at the very beginning of the process. So the first thing to know is actually how much you can afford, so you you know exactly what type of practice and uh, what you can you can buy and then you start looking rather than doing the other way around because the market is very buoyant the market is very active so by the time you you place an offer and then you realize if you can afford it or not there might be someone else who actually come in a very much stronger position than you while you're still doing exercises to understand a if you can afford it and b what you can get from the bank for, for the purchase 
So a conversation with you should be at the very beginning of the stage of the process. Absolutely. Yes, I mean, as I said, I actually quite like uh, catching dentists when they've just qualified or doing a VT year and telling them what they need to actually do uh, because it, it sometimes is too late to talk when they're going for the practice and they've just done three years of, of low levels of fees when they, if they'd known perhaps they had to gross a reasonable level of fees, they would have perhaps approached their job in a different way. Okay, yeah. so, okay. so in, for instance, Kevin, of course, every situation is different and um, you know, sometimes there is bank and mum and dad coming into, into the game. But the, the average uh, length of time from an associate to, to buy a practice, what is the journey length from becoming a, a dentist to actually owning a practice in, in today's market, in, in your experience? Yeah, it's a really good question, actually. And there's no right and wrong. I think it depends on the individual. Some people are very entrepreneurial. You find that the associates biting the bit to buy a practice almost as soon as they become an associate. Um, and generally, actually, the answer there or the question there is rather, when will the banks lend? Uh, a lot of them tend to lend after sort of two to three years of experience, or after quali qualifying, so two, two to three years experience, then the banks will consider the uh, associate for a loan. But some people aren't ready at that stage. Some people need to get out there and get some more experience, work in a private a practice, work in an NHS practice, decide what they like, and then start looking. There's no right or wrong, but a lot of dentists approach me after about five or six years. That seems to be the point where the yeah. average dentist will approach. It seems okay. like they do need that experience of business and generally managing teams and working with other individuals because when you do get to that level of uh, running a, a business by yourself it's not as easy as it seems from an associate's point of view. I think so, I think you're right. I think also you know they need their clinical experience so the dentist will need to work in various different practices, find out what they like, what they don't like and also they'll get experience of practices that are well run and practices that are bad. Yeah. And there comes a point where they start to realise actually this isn't as scary as it looks, I think I could actually do this. Uh, so, yeah, I, I guess yeah. the answer is it's different for every person and, and, and the practices they work in are all different. So it's, exactly, it's yeah. a different journey for everyone, really. Okay. okay. So, Ke Kevin, you've, you've touched on quite a lot about the things that dentists should do in order to position themselves uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the right way to prepare for lending. What things should they avoid when looking for lending? One of the first things I would say, I think Max sort of brushed on this earlier, is actually considering whether the practice is profitable or not. Uh, so many dentists will look at a practice and say, okay, it's turning over half a million, therefore I want to buy that one. And they won't consider the actual available profit at the bottom line. And I'm not saying that uh, you know, there's practices you should buy and practices you shouldn't buy, which yeah. are the same for every dentist. Some practices fit for some dentists and, and some for others. It might be there's a low level of profit, for example, but the particular dentist can work there two or three days a week and retain their associate role and make it work. Uh, yeah. Other dentists will look at the practice and not consider how much money is going to be left after I buy this practice and I service this bank loan I'm about to take out. Uh, because if they, if they need a lot of money out personally to cover personal debt, or sorry, personal expenditure rather, then you know, it might not be the right practice for them. It, every case is different and needs to be assessed, which again is where I come into it. I actually crunch down the numbers and present to the dentist what I believe to be the true profit in this business um, after paying off the proposed loan, sorry, paying monthly payments on the proposed loan. Okay, so Kevin, for any buyers interested in buying a dental practice, how long does it take from an initial conversation with you to actually getting the approval from the bank and the amount of money they can borrow? Well, what is the process? Take us to the actual journey. 
Sure, okay. Well, the, the timescales for actually obtaining a full sanction have definitely got quite lengthy now. Uh, so the workaround for that is that generally I collect all of the information in from a client. I write up a brief for the banks, the banks overview it, and then very quickly they will provide heads of terms, which means they'll provide the sort of terms they would lend this money on. And the people I deal with in the banks are quite experienced. I know the right people in each bank to go to. So they'll have a conversation with their sanction and without getting the full sanction, but we get a very good guide at that point as to which banks are interested, which aren't, and what the sort of terms are that they'll lend on. So then I can go back to the borrower and present the terms and they can choose which banks they'd like to deal with. We then push forward for the sanction. But that could be a couple of weeks further on. So we might be talking about three weeks uh, in total. Now, sometimes it goes through in a week. If it's a very straightforward, clear-cut case, um, and time is of the essence, then we'll push it through and it'll take about a week. But other times, there'll be questions that are kicked back by sanctioners, and we have to go away and find out a bit more about the practice or dig into the applicant's personal expenditure. So again, it's best to always allow a few weeks. But as far as uh, approaching and making an offer on a practice, then we, we can get an answer in a few days, basically. Okay. Well, clearly, having engaging with someone like you from day one, it will make this process much shorter, avoid questions back and forth, and you will know what questions bank are likely, banks are likely to ask. So you will put together all of the questionnaire and, and everything, a very comprehensive, I guess, questionnaire, which I've seen anyway, to put together the proposal for the bank. Yes, exactly. I mean, I will assess it in exactly the same way I would have done when I was a senior manager in the banks. Uh, so I'll write up the same application, pass it into the banks, and I'll already have seen probably most of the pitfalls and covered those off with the client. So, yeah. uh, so generally, I get a good feel for things as they come in. Well, yeah, you know what they would be asking because you used to be one of them <laughs> asking the questions. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good good kind of uh, person to go to for that type of type of work, really. Yeah, somebody exactly. who knows how the, the rules work. Yeah, the, um, the inside information. It's, it's all important, really. Is. Yeah. Okay, thank you, Kevin. So essentially, do you see in your experience there are different bands lending and different criteria for different type of practices? So do you see that obviously there is comfort around the NHS still and the evergreen contract and the positive cash flow provided to dental uh, practice owners? But do you see a difference in the lending criteria in between the type of practices? between different banks? Yes, definitely. Uh, going back a few years, the banks were fairly similar in how they lent, but, uh, but now each of them is, is different, uh, which makes it, makes it quite interesting, actually, because generally we'll find the right bank will fit with a certain practice or a certain applicant. But you, some of the banks are better at lending on the big practices, and some are better at lending at the smaller practices. Um, no, also, Max, you'll find that the banks tend to be a little bit cyclical with their credit appetite. Uh, so a particular bank might be lending very strongly and will suddenly pull back for a period and then return to the market later on. And obviously it's important for me to be very close to the banks to understand their credit policy and, uh, and what we can obtain at a particular time. Okay. It's very clear that to me, prices are very strong for dental practices and so is demand. Demand is also very strong. There are, if we look at the figures, there are approximately 500 dental practices coming coming to, to market every year. This is without considering bigger M&A uh, deals. And I personally have in my database in excess of 5,000 buyers, registered buyers, and uh, I deal with over 85 
big and small groups, all of pretty much all of the most active groups. So it's a very competitive market. And it's, it's very evident to me that um, with 500 practices coming to market approximately every year, and way in excess of 5,000 registered buyers, there, there are um, 10 buyers for every practice coming to market immediately. So, and most of those buyers are very experienced and have done it before. So it's very important and very critical to, as a new buyers especially, to make sure that you have the right team helping you with you, except the right consultant helping you with you. So do you deal predominantly with first-time buyer, Kevin? Uh, no, not at all. Uh, deal with established practice owners. I mean, some of my clients I've seen from their first practice right with three to five practices. Um, and obviously there is a lot of mentoring of first-time buyers as well. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, I can help clients with refurbishment finance and equipment finance, or even tax finance. So any reason a dentist would have to borrow money, I could put them together with the right lender. Okay, so no, it's only acquisitions by refurbishment, capital injection, buy-in, buy-out, tax loans, higher purchase, anything essentially that dental professionals need. Exactly. Kevin, any more suggestions on how dentists can avoid certain traps of, of lending money for the first time? Yes, uh, so I guess point number two would be, again, back to the personal information. We mentioned in looking like a good prospect to a bank, it was all important, but also it can cause a lot of problems. We tend to find a lot of dentists have a lot of personal finance. Uh, dentists tend to like their toys and their, their cars. Uh, so okay. a lot of personal loan and car debt, etc. The more personal finance you have, the bigger your drawing requirement is, which all goes into that calculation we need to make when we look at practice accounts to see how much money is left at the bottom line. So uh, I think, you know, try and pay off some of that personal debt or just, you know, everybody needs to borrow money, but try and not go over the top with personal loans and uh, credit card debt, etc. That's a uh, yeah, useful tip. Any, any one more last tip if you could share something with us? Yes, well, the big one is is saving a deposit, actually. Okay. Because um, there is a lot of expense to buying a yeah. practice, as Max will say, you know, practice prices are, are pretty strong. And if we're talking about a 20% deposit on a million pound practice, obviously it's a lot of money to save up. Um, but in addition, you know, lawyers' fees, the bank's facility fee, uh, all of these fees out to a lot, a lot of money. So I always say to um, associate dentists, when they're looking for the first practice, you should be banking as much money you, as you can on a monthly basis. Try and save, 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 save. Get that deposit together. Um, once you locate the practice or identify the practice that you want to buy, then obviously you've got some time because it could be six months or it could be nine months until the full, uh, you know, from start to finish until you actually own that practice. Keep saving during that period as well. Uh, but that's probably the, uh, the biggest one, actually. People often go and find a practice and realize they haven't got any money behind them. And then they're scraping around to try and pull some personal debt out here and there, which, which obviously compounds the debt they're going to take on the practice and means they're not very wealthy at all once they actually own the practice and may even earn less money than it is an associate. Okay, wow. Yeah, definitely a lot of useful tips there on the plus and the negative sides of lending. Max, any other questions that you'd like to ask? I think tonight it's been really, really good talking to you, Kevin. Um, for, for people like myself in a, a kind of a permanent beta status of learning, of improving, of evolving, I think this is going to be very useful. It's been very, very useful for me to know yeah. uh, more insight in, in, the, in the lending 
uh, costs and criteria and, and in your world. So thank you, Kevin. It's been very good to have you. No, not at all. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about teaching uh, young dentists about what they need to do to get ready. So uh, no, it's been a complete pleasure. No, likewise, like Max, I've actually quite, I've learned quite a lot today. Um, this interview could go on for another couple of hours, but I know um, that we have to show on this. There's so much that people can learn from yourself, Kevin, and, and, and yeah, I wish we had more time today, but I'm sure we would like to invite you again, just to cover more and more of how to effectively lend with banks and, and make sure that your investment is is success in the long run, really. Kevin, it's been nice to have you on our show. You give us tons of information. I'm sure we can spend hours going over more and more and learning from, from yourself, just from your experiences and, and understanding the bank and how they think and work from, from your previous experiences. Anybody out there who would like to get in touch with Kevin, you can visit his website, saroma.co.uk, which is S-A-R-O-M-A, or you can get in touch with his team on 07801 Kevin and his team do work around business hours. So if you are thinking of contacting Kevin and his team uh, after surgery hours or during lunchtime, they'll be more than happy to do so. Kevin, any last words? Uh, no, just to back that up, really, just say I'm happy to have a chat on the phone or come and have a coffee with dentists. Um, I'm completely aware that you're busy in the daytime, so it'll either be a lunch hour or evening uh, time, so that, that's fine. And even sometimes I've dressed down because dentists don't want to be seen to be looking to meet a business person because they're buying a practice. So uh, yeah. yeah, I'll work around the dentists. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. And I'm sure that our listeners uh, learned a lot about uh, lending costs and lending criteria as Hassan and I did. Uh, we really enjoy having you today. So thank you again. And to all our listeners, stay tuned for next week's show. A word from our sponsors. The Creative Composite, dental marketing which helps you grow. The Pluto Partnership, where professionalism meets confidence.